One day, there was a young Christian man who went to an older believer to uh, ask for prayer. And he asked this, Will you please pray that I may be more patient? The elderly man agreed. And so they knelt together, and the man began to pray, and here's how his prayer went. He said, Lord, send this young man trials in the morning. Uh, God, please send this young man trials in the afternoon. And God, please send this young man trials in the evening. And at that point, the young Christian blurted out, No, no, I didn't ask you to pray for trials. I wanted you to pray for patience. Ah, responded the wise Christian man. It's through trials that we learn patience. James is going to teach us about that today. And I'm curious by, by just a you know, just show of hands, I'm curious. Can, can you just tell me how many of you have a problem with a lack of patience? I'm raising my hand on that one. Uh, so, <clears throat> now, how many of you are actually willing to pay the price that's required in order to gain that patience? <laughs> So that's the issue. Most of us, when we, rec- we, we, we recognize the need for patience, and we pray a prayer that might, some of us might pray a prayer like the comic on the screen here, you know, uh, uh, you know, God or Father, Heavenly Father, give me patience and give it to me right now! I won't ask if that's you. But if, uh, if you struggle with patience, I'm, I'm, I'm going to bring you hope and help today from the book of James, because in James chapter 5 here, we're just going to look at verses 7 through 11 today, uh, his, his focus is on people who are being persecuted. I would call that a trial. And, and so James is instructing these suffering Christians as to what attitude are they to have in the midst of their persecution. And so the theme of this section is really defining how to be patient in trials. You say, be patient in trials. That sounds really difficult. Yeah. Um, yeah, so let's talk about that because the Bible talks a lot about this. I mean, trouble is an inevitable part of your life, and the universal experience of it reflects the reality that you and I live in a cursed world. And so if you've never read Genesis chapter 3 and you don't understand Genesis 3, you're not going to understand the world you live in, are you? You're going to be like, where's all this evil come from? And why is my life a mess? And, you know, well, here's the way Job understood this. Job might be the oldest book in the Bible. And Job said, that man is born for trouble as sparks fly upward. That's the next slide, by the way, not that comic And Jesus said this in John 16. He said, in the world, you have tribulation. Well, it wasn't just Jesus and Job that said this sort of thing. The Apostle Paul actually warned the Christians in the region of Galatia. He he told them uh, that, uh, it's on the next slide, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And, And Paul told Timothy, that all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Are you starting to get the picture here? You understand the point the Bible's making? 
And, and the Apostle Peter said something similar here. Look at this. Here's what Peter says. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you, but to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. So in addition to the normal trials of life that we go through, believers face persecution for the cause of Christ. And in Jesus' great sermon on the mount, here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now there's a danger when we face trials and persecution. I'm sure you you have the same heart I do. (laughs) The danger is we, we risk losing patience uh, in many ways, uh, we, 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 we risk losing patience in our circumstances. Uh, we might become impatient with other people. And if you're like me, I'm in danger of losing patience with God. Yeah. And it's important to recognize that danger. And if you do, James is going to help us in the midst of, of those trials and persecution. So let's, let's read what James has to say. It's really helpful here. James 5, verse 7. He starts off with this command right from the beginning. And he says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Now, some people in our congregation love this verse. You notice what it says? See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the capital J judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remains steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So, friends, the assumption is you will all face trials. So here's the question. When you are faced with trials, what does God command you to do? And I've chosen the word command because there's three commands in this In the Greek language, they're imperatives. And number one, God commands you to be patient in verse 7. So if you're wondering why Wallace is on the screen up there, because Wallace, in the picture there on the screen, does not have a long fuse. In fact, Wallace has a very short fuse on whatever that is, firecracker, bomb, I'm not sure what it is. So... The, the advice that James is giving, don't be like the fuse. Don't be like Wallace there. Don't have a short fuse. 
the idea of being patient is you have a long fuse. The idea is you set the timer of your temper for a very long, long run. It's kind of like uh, having the mentality or the attitude or the mindset of a marathon runner. Any of you ever run a marathon? I didn't think so. Uh, So you you might have a hard time understanding this if you've never run a marathon, but uh, not that I've done it, but I've talked to those who have, and you have to have the right mindset in order to be a marathon runner, right? So if if you're one of those sprinters, you know, the guys that just, you know, they're only doing 100 meters or whatever, Right, they're 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 all out. It's everything in that hundred meters to cross the finish line. If you have that kind of a mindset coming to a very long run, you're not going to finish. <laughs> you will never finish. You have to have a different mindset, a different attitude. And so God's saying you need to come to your life thinking long, think long, long fuse, long run. That is your journey. Be patient. The second command is be totally committed. Be totally committed. See, verse 8 says, Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. The, the idea of establishing your hearts is this idea of being totally committed. In fact, the, this, this Greek phrase here was used in Luke to describe Jesus' resolute determination to go to Jerusalem to accomplish his mission, finish his purpose for earth here, even though he knew he was going to Jerusalem to face certain death. It's a word that means resoluteness, firm courage. It's an attitude of commitment. I am going to stay my course no matter how severe the trial is. It's like the picture on the next screen here of the 300 Spartans. Now, some, th- some people think the Spartans were crazy. They were mad. They lost their brains. You know, <clears throat> I-, I understand that thinking. We don't live in that culture. But one, one thing I do love about the, those 300 Spartans, when they were facing insurmountable odds from the lunatic from Assyria, who was attacking their country, they decided, we're a lot smaller than this massive army that's attacking Greece. Like some say it was between 100 and 200,000 soldiers. And, and, and you know, the Spartans had 1,000. <clears throat> they sent some of them back home. So they said, okay, we're a lot smaller. How are we going to beat this bigger army? Well, well, we'll head them off at the pass, literally. Head them off at the pass. So we have a lot fewer, but we can take we could take them on in a in a small area, and that's exactly what they did. Now eventually they lost, but in the long run, ultimately Greece won, and they became the world dominating empire. All because of that one battle, the Battle of Thermopylae. It's it's a good illustration of being totally committed. They they fully expected to die, insurmountable odds, and they did. All three hundred of them. And so, God's saying, be totally committed, resolute. You're all in with firm courage, this attitude of, I am staying for the long run. Now, there's two pendulum swings here. 
you're, you're not to have this attitude of, you know, just let go and let God. But neither are you to have the view that the Christian life is all about my legalistic self-effort. <laughs> both, both pendulum swings are wrong. Instead, you're to live your life as if everything depends on you, knowing that it all depends on God. That's balance. That is the true balance. And so, be totally committed. And the third command is, don't be bitter. Don't, do not be bitter. Because verse 9 says, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. And so, if you're wondering, I, I like Winnie the Pooh, if you haven't figured that out. But um, in Winnie the Pooh, you know the donkey, Eeyore. It seems like there's always this dark cloud that follows poor Eeyore all, everywhere he goes. It's, it's, it's an interesting story, an interesting illustration. See, living with difficult circumstances can cause believers to become frustrated. We can lose our patience. We can grumble, as it says. We can complain. You can whinge and whine. And, and especially against those who appear to be suffering less than we are. And those who seem to be adding to your trouble, you want to grumble against them, right? And that word grumble there, by the way, it, it means you're groaning within yourself, kind of like you are. Uh, you're, you're sighing. It's describing this attitude of an internal, something that's internal, it's, it's an unexpressed thing, it's a bitter, resentful spirit that manifests itself in, in our relationships with others. And, and if you've ever read Winnie the Pooh, you notice his friends are often trying to cheer him up, <laughs> inviting him to parties or whatever, right? Um, that's great. But you don't want to be like that. God's saying, don't be like that. Don't be bitter. Don't, don't have this grumbling internal spirit about you as you go through trials. You say, but I have trials and they're hard. Yeah, I know. So uh, James is really helpful. He tells us how we can face trials with patience. Because you were commanded there in verse 7, be patient, right? So you say, well, how do I do that? How do I do that? By the way, I forgot to give you the proposition, didn't I? Do uh, you remember the proposition, which I normally give? I, I hopefully it was on the screen there for you. Somehow I missed that. Yeah, so, so from the text we see that God wants you to patiently endure trials. <laughs> Sorry, I forgot that. Yeah, that's what God wants you to do. He wants you to patiently endure trials. So how can we face trials with patience? Well, James is going to give you six practical perspectives. He... he he wants you to see God's perspective on your life, not your limited view. And if you have God's perspective, that's going to make all the difference in your life so that you'll be able to patiently endure trials. Number one, here's what... James is so practical. I love James. Here's what he says. You, you, you need to anticipate the Lord's coming. And of course, by the Lord, he's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Anticipate it. Anticipate it. And he mentions the Lord several times here, right? The end of verse 7, or in the middle of verse 7, he talks about the coming of the Lord. Uh, verse 8, he talks about establishing hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. <laughs> right? How many times does he have to talk about this? I mean, verse 9, 
He says, behold, the judge is standing at the door. That judge is Jesus. So two times, at least, in the section, James refers to the believer's great hope. What is that? The believer's great hope is the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, things always won't be as they are now. I'm very thankful for that. Believers, Hebrews tells us, are to be looking for the city whose architect and builder is God. And the truth there is awesome, because that truth provides great hope for anybody who is undergoing a trial. And and for that reason, the more persecuted you are, the more eagerly then you're going to anticipate the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the sure hope of Christ's return is especially comforting uh, for anybody going through trial or persecution. Over and over again, the Bible gives us great hope. Uh, For example, to the Romans, the Apostle Paul wrote, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Uh, The Apostle Paul reminded the Corinthians that the momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond comparison. Peter also encouraged suffering believers to remember the Lord's return. I've put this one on the screen for you here. In 1 Peter it says, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So to further reinforce his point, that believers need to wait patiently for the second coming, James described a very familiar scene here, and he's using something that's simple. It's straightforward. It's it's a great illustration. And and there's some in our congregation who are going to love this. You love this illustration, don't you guys? <laughs> right? Any, anybody who's, who's put seed in the ground, you're a gardener of any sort, you're gonna, you understand this if you've done this sort of thing. It's a great illustration of the farmer. What does the farmer do? The farmer waits for that, that precious produce of the soil. You have to be patient about that seed that's put in the ground until it gets, notice it talks about the early and the late rains in verse 7. At the end of verse 7, the the farmer waits for that precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rain. Now remember, we're in the southern hemisphere, so Israel's in the northern hemisphere. Their seasons are a little different from ours, obviously. And, And so the the idea here is the farmer would have, and this farmer, by the way, was a tenant farmer, most likely, a small landowner maybe. And so after he had planted his crops, he had to wait expectantly for that precious produce of the soil to come in. He was relying upon it. And so that depends on something outside of his control, right? There's nothing he can do about it. God has to bring in all the elements needed for the crops to grow. 
uh, those crops are valuable to, to the farmer because he's depending on them for his very existence. All he can do is be patient as he eagerly waits for the crops to come in. Now, James' reference there in verse 7 to those early and late rains shows just how long farmers had to patiently wait. We're, we're talking up to half a year, approximately. The early rains, by the way, in Israel arrived at the time of the fall planting season, which, by the way, for them was October and November. And the late rains would come just before harvest time around March and April, uh, so I'm told. Uh, so if you apply the analogy here to the readers, James is exhorting them, be patient. This can take six months. And so just as a farmer was waiting patiently for his entire growing season of his crops, so also believers to be the same. You wait patiently for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so James exhorted his readers to have this settled conviction that Christ would return and thus strengthen your hearts with that glorious truth. Now the obvious idea of this exhortation here was that believers should realize your trouble is only temporary. It's going to end one day when Jesus returns. And though Jesus would not return in the lifetime of the recipients of this letter, uh, all may live in the anticipation that he is coming at any moment. Do you believe that? Do you believe he could come today? He can. He might. And so that truth, by the way, is actually arguing for what theologians call imminency. Imminency is the idea that the next event on God's schedule is he's sending Christ back to earth. He's going to deliver the believers from this world in all of their troubles. And that's a message of comforting hope that God has for you, friends. So how can we face trials with patience? Number two, recognize the Lord's judgment. Recognize the Lord's judgment. See, do not grumble, it says in verse 9. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. And so James here is depicting the Lord Jesus Christ as this judge. And he's about to enter the, the courtroom, if you will, the judgment hall. And the sobering reality here is that Christ will return... And the Bible says he's going to judge the living and the dead. And so that cautions those tempted to grumble. It's a caution against our complaining spirits we might have in the midst of our trials. And so those who do not know the Lord, who do not know Jesus, are going to face final judgment. And its resulting sentence, the Bible says, is an eternal condemnation. But the good news is if you're a believer in Christ... There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Now, believers will be judged, right? The Bible tells us. For example, look at these scriptures here. In 2 Corinthians, it says, For we must all appear. You don't, you don't get to avoid this. We all will appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed or rewarded for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now, that's not the only passage in the Bible that talks about your reward. Uh, look at this one. Here's another one. It says that each man's work will become evident. 
For the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If each man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. That's in 1 Corinthians 3. Now, let's be clear. What, what kind of judgment is God talking about in those passages? It's not going to be a judgment on believers' sins. Since the Bible tells us, you're, if you're a believer in Christ, your sin was dealt with on Christ. And so that's what the Apostle John talked about in 1 John when he says, Jesus became your propitiation. He became your wrath absorber. He receives the wrath of God in your place. You deserve God's wrath. But Jesus says, give it to me. I'm taking it. So you don't have to. And that's what he did. He's already received it. And, and though Christians need not fear facing judgment for sins, we can now love our Lord Jesus and desire not to lose your reward. But you, you, you can look forward to a day when God's going to say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. And so the recognition of future judgment here for believers' works should actually produce patience in you. Should. So how can we face trials with patience? Number three, follow the Lord's servants. Follow the Lord's servants. Now, you'll see a PowerPoint there, picture of some prophet. Don't know who it is, but anyway, it doesn't matter. God had a lot of prophets. And it's interesting that in, in our passage here in verse 10, look what God says, because he, he, he uses them as an example for us. As we face trials, look to those before you who also face trials. Because verse 10 says, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. So what's James doing? He's using the example of prophets in the Bible to, who, who endured great unjust suffering. And so James is pointing this out, reminding us, and saying, Look to them, gain some patience and, and, and courage and strength from them. Now, the, the persecution that was endured by Israel's prophets, oh, it, it's horrible. It's a, it's a really sad list of just rejection and abuse. Those poor guys. I mean, let, let me just put together some of them for you to think through. I mean, let's start with Moses. All right, Moses had to put up with... A stiff-necked people, the Bible called them. The rebellious Israelites who, who left Egypt were a grumbling, whinging, whining group of people. And then you got Elijah who, who faced hostility from the evil king Ahab and his lovely wife Jezebel. And then there's Jeremiah who endured opposition throughout his ministry to the point, the Bible, you know, he, he had so much sorrow in his life, he became known as the weeping prophet. Well, then you had Ezekiel. The prophet Ezekiel endured the death of his wife during the course of his ministry. Uh, apparently, uh, the prophet Isaiah, uh, oh, yeah, great. Uh, the, the, apparently, the king put him inside a hollow log and cut him in half. 
Yeah, and then there's Daniel who is uh, stolen from his homeland as a young boy. Later, because he's obeying God, he's fed to the lions. God preserved him because of his faithfulness. Oh, and then there's Hosea. Yeah, he had to endure a heartbreaking marriage to a prostitute. Amos faced lies and scorn. And John the Baptist was in prison and uh, eventually lost his head and was beheaded for his testimony to God's truth. And that's not even a full list. (laughs) That's not even the full list. And so the patience under trials that was exhibited by these faithful prophets should actually provide encouragement for any believer to, to, you can do the same. Right? You can run with patience in the Christian life. You can be diligent. You can be faithful, no matter how severe the persecution. But there's a fourth point that needs to be made here in verse 11. Understand the Lord's blessing. You need to understand the Lord's blessing. Look at verse 11. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. People who who endure are actually objects of divine favor. You're actually blessed by God. The Apostle Paul understood this. I mean, the poor guy went through a lot of suffering and trials and persecution. But he he actually reveals this truth in 2 Corinthians 12. Look Look what Paul says here. He says, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations... For this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to tempt me, to bring me from exalting myself, or to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me, and he has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Do you see the blessedness there? Paul understood that. So Paul was blessed even in this earthly life. You say, that doesn't sound like blessing to me. <laughs> right? So how, how was Paul blessed? Well, he's, he's blessed with humility, number one. He's blessed with dependence on God. He's blessed with special grace. He's blessed with spiritual strengthening. So despite being unjustly assaulted by Satan, friends, God's blessing comes to you when you endure. And so those who will receive the greatest blessing in the life to come are those who have endured the greatest sufferings in this present world. In fact, the Bible says there's a crown, a reward, for those who suffer and endure patiently and faithfully. So how can we face trials with patience? (laughs) You say, I need some more. Please give me some more. All right, here you go. Number five, realize the Lord's purpose. Realize the Lord's purpose. There's a purpose in trials. That's helpful. Because verse 11 goes on to say, You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, 
and you have seen the purpose of the Lord. Now, some of you might be sitting there thinking, no, I haven't. I I haven't seen it yet. I'd really like to see it. (laughs) I'd love to see the purpose of the Lord in my trial. Yeah, I understand. Sometimes it's hard to see when you're going through it. So I'll put a picture of Job and his friends on the screen there. It's an interesting story. You read the book of Job. It's a very incredible story of the endurance of Job, or as as it says here, he, he was steadfast. By the way, that was one of the most popular stories in Jewish history because Job endured unimaginable, unexplained suffering. Just think about it. He experienced the fierce attacks of Satan. He lost all ten of his children. By the way, on the same day, imagine that. He lost all of his wealth on the same day. He lost his health. He lost his reputation. And as far as I'm concerned, this this one's got to be the worst. He felt like he was abandoned by God. Like God's presence in his life was like gone. And so it's true that Job, well, chapter 3 tells us, he, he actually vocalized his misery. He, he talks about his misery. He complained about the, fault, the false counsel of his misguided friends. <laughs> but the Bible also says it, he, he cried out in confusion to God. He, he didn't fully understand what's happening. But yet, in the midst of that, the Bible says, through all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Now, he did sin in his heart, eventually. But at least he didn't blame God. Job tells us he did not blame God. And in fact, Job was able to say in chapter 13, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Wow, that's great. So the outcome or the purpose of the Lord's dealings with Job provides hope for all who patiently endure suffering. That's why James, he understood this story. It had been passed down for for generations, and it was encouraging to a lot of Israelis over the years. You say, well, how could that be encouraging? What what, what hope is that going to bring? Well, there's those who are smarter than me have thought through this, so let let me just share some things I've found from, from others. There's at least four important divine purposes for Job's sufferings, and God's using Job as an illustration, a shining, glorious illustration, say, hey, look, he was steadfast. You can too. You can endure with patience, just like Job did. Here they are, friends. I'll put them all up there for you. Number one, to test his faith and prove it was genuine. How do you know if something is genuine? How do you know if your faith is genuine? (laughs) Well, you go through a trial, It'll, it'll, it'll speak volumes. It, it says a lot, doesn't it? it? It'll show, are you the real thing? And, and number two, to thwart Satan's attempt to destroy that faith. <laughs> Satan gave his best shot. He, he gave it his all. But he failed. Satan was like one of those dogs with his tail tucked between his legs. He lost. And number three, to strengthen Job's faith and enable him to see God more clearly. You remember the end of the book of Job? Job says, you know, God, God gives Job all these questions. Hey, hey, Job, have you seen this? 
did, did you see this creature that I made? Job, did, have you seen, have you seen the, the constellations in the sky? Job, look, look what I've done over here. And, and Job's like, wow, I see. <laughs> yeah, okay, cool. Right? He, his eyes were opened in a way, right? Uh, so that was helpful. And number four, to increase, increase Job's blessedness. In the end, Job's get, Job gets more children. He gets the same wife. Hopefully she stopped nagging him. But uh, same wife, right? He, he gets his health back. He gets more, ten more children. He, his wealth is increased. And so all those purposes were realized because despite all of his trials, Job remained loyal to God. He did. So realize the Lord's purpose in your trial. That, that, that can be really stabilizing for you. And the last point James gives here is consider the Lord's character. Consider the Lord's character. What is God like? You see, you're not going to patiently endure if you do not know God. You will crumble and fall under the weight if you don't know God. You can't do it on your own. Because verse, the end of verse 11 says, Notice what it says, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So fittingly, here, James closes this, this part of his text with this exhortation. It's, it's a reminder about the character of God. What, what is God like? And those of you who have gone through trials, you, you understand it's not uncommon to question whether God really cares about you when you're in the midst of a very severe trial? Does God really care? Does, does He care about me? About me personally? Right? I, I've, I've felt that. I've been there. I understand that. I, I got the t-shirt that says, you know, I've been there. I've done that. I understand that. And so in, in the midst of your trials, though, you can take comfort in this indisputable truth. The unchanging God is this. He is compassionate, and He is merciful toward you. The Lord is full of this, in fact. And, and so this, these are truths that are foundational, they're comforting, they're rock solid, they're immovable. You have to stand on that, or your life is a mess. So friends, as you go through trials in your life, you must consider the Lord's character Know him. Study your Bible to find out who he is. Look, look at all of his works. Israel, by the way, your, your Old Testament, God uses Israel as this shining example of, of who God is, that he is a God full of compassion and mercy. He's the same God. He hasn't changed. He can't change. So as you study your Old Testament, you, as you look at Jesus in the New Testament, same God, one God, there's only one God. That's the God you have to look to as you go through life, whether good, bad times in life. See, your life is going to up and down, right? It's not going to just be one flat line. And so as you go through life, the ups and downs, you've got to keep looking at something that's stable. It's, it's like being out on a boat in the ocean. You, you, ever done, you ever gone out fishing or whatever? You go out on a boat on the ocean? Right? The ocean's moving most of the time. 
Occasionally, you know, it's like a mirror out there, but that's kind of rare. But as you're out there, it's, it, I always find it comforting as I'm out there fishing that there's land over there that's not moving because I've been seasick before, and that's a horrible feeling. How many of you have been seasick? That's a horrible feeling because you're like, you, you know, you're, you're, the insides of you become like the ocean, and you're like, oh, right? You, and so you get sick. But if you can keep looking at something that's not moving, that, that's rock solid, that is so helpful. And so James is, is saying something similar. Keep looking at what something that's not moving. <laughs> your, your life's going to be up and down like the ocean, but keep looking at this Lord who is compassionate and merciful, friends. That's your hope. That's how you will be able to patiently endure. So, my friends, any trial that you face can be patiently endured. God didn't give you that command in verse 7 to discourage you. (laughs) That is something that is attainable through God's grace in your life. So, may God give us the grace to be patient when we face trials. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you for uh, the book of James, and thank you for this exhortation here. May you enable us to patiently endure trials. We thank you for the trials you bring into our life. May we understand all the blessings and the benefits and the, the wonderful purposes that you have in those. Yes, they're hard, uh, but um, may we not just ask why all the time. <laughs> But may we see your purposes and and learn from them and uh, thank you and praise you and rejoice in them. And may we be able to patiently endure those trials. May we bring you honor and glory through them. May we recognize that everything you, you do is for your glory and our good. And so we're thankful for what you're doing. And so when we can't see the purposes, when we don't understand, when we feel like we're in the dark and somehow your presence has left us, please enable us to hold on to something that's immovable, something that's foundational, something that's going to help us endure patiently. And of course, that is you, your character and your nature and your purposes and all the things we've seen here. Forgive us when we falter and waver and uh, we, we, we give in to the temptation that uh, you're not who you say you are and you're not doing what you said you're doing. So when we sin, may we run to you to find you to be faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Keep us looking at you, looking at Jesus who is the author and the finisher of our faith. And so we, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.